Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you all. And what a wonderful day that we could worship together and praising the Lord together. Um, and uh, it's a beautiful week, I hope, and a beautiful weekend. And, uh, you know, recently I heard this crazy news on the, well, not on TV, but at Internet, and uh, as you might hear these news. And if you know the ending of this story, please don't give it away. Um, but there was this... Uh, homeless man who on this side of the freeway he he saw this girl and she was stranded in the car and as he was looking out for her she had you know there's obviously some issues so he went up to her and found out that this girl had zero gas in his car so the car stopped in the side of the freeway he thought oh it's dangerous But he had nothing to give because he's a homeless man. But he did have a $20 bill in his pocket. It was his saving. It was his lifeline, basically. That's all he had. And he decided that he would give this to this girl. And obviously, the girl was extremely touched by his generosity. And he, you know, he took down his information. I want to thank you, but, you know, let me go get some gas. So she left. And a couple days later, she was extremely touched. So she decided... I want to give thanks to this man. So let's start this GoFundMe. You know, that's a crowdfunding on the Internet. And she started this page. She spread this on social media. And and the people responded because of his generosity. They were like, oh, we need to thank this man who gave his all. And uh, just imagine this what happened. Look right here. Four hundred thousand dollars was raised because people were touched by his generosity it was like oh we got to do something for this man not crazy four hundred thousand dollar was given to this homeless man donated by all these people who were extremely touched by this story a genuine response to someone who gave up everything that he had and it was well deserved right It's a feel-good story that makes us warm in this holiday season, only if it was true. So the real story behind this was this was all fake. They knew each other, and they decided to do this story. And some of you are like, oh, did you send money? Oh, okay, because you you look shocked. Like, you might have sent money because they are now being charged with theft. So because they knew each other and they decided to do this and spread out and they took the money. And you know what they were found? They were going into casino and using that money. So anyways, that is the end of that story. And it's a sad story. We are in a series of worship. And last week, Pastor Phil talked about how worship is our genuine response of the heart to God who gave everything to us. And we just, what we just saw an example is a not-so-genuine response. In fact, it is quite the opposite. It is fraud, it is fake, it is as rude and sad and, and, and very bad as it could get. And it happens when the focus is on, I mean, people responded genuinely, but their motive was getting something, not giving up something. The man's response wasn't to give, it was to receive And then let's go back to our lives as our worship. Is our worship, how is your worship? Is it genuine? 
Is it for real? Is it something that we are giving our very best? Or are we just looking for something in return? It really sp- spoke to the heart. This, this concept of worship. And what does it mean for us to give? This worship as our genuine response. And you know, this one Sunday, we'll not answer that question. But in your lifetime, as you carry on your life, at the end of the day, God will know if you've lived out your worship. And that is the theme today, living out our worship. And worship, obviously, is not oftentimes it's alluded to our worship songs or the sermon or entire Sunday service or Sunday morning experience. But worship isn't just that. That's only one day a week. We have six more days a week to worship. In fact, worship we give every single day, 365 days a year. That is to be lived out. That is our response. And are we, church, living out our worship genuinely as our response to God. And that is the question today. Or is it just the lip service? Is it just these, the, the show that we put on for God or maybe for one another? On Sunday morning from 11 to 12, and then we forget about that rest of the week. I, I hope that this gets us thinking. Perhaps maybe get uncomfortable with it. But that's what we could do together. So let's dive in. And our pastoral team, on every Tuesday morning, we gather and we debrief of how was our worship service. Every single Tuesday morning, we start out the day by, okay, so how was it? Where can we improve? Where is an area where, and worship, not just the message, not just the songs, but in the entire experience. So it is something that we take very seriously. And it is something that we have obviously continued to improve and make progress. And that's what we do. And when we thought about this series, it's a mini-series, only two weeks, but on worship, it was something that we felt it was so important. And we, the team, came across this passage from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And we're going to read that, but before we get into that, let me kind of explain what that passage and that, that, uh, that letter is all about. And I thought this passage is so unique because it describes the goal of our worship as a whole. And how it must be lived out as individuals. So, um, but before that, this is, who are these Philippians? We, we hear this a lot. It's just a very short letter. It's a four-chapter book. But who are these people? Where is Philippi? Philippi was ruled by the Roman government. And, and then at that time, and this church was founded by none other than Apostle Paul, who wrote this. So you probably heard this name, Paul. And he planted this church in his second mission trip that he went out. And what is this mission trip that he was on? He was trying to spread the gospel of Jesus to all over this, wherever he can get to. And, and, and this church in Philippi was the first church in Europe, the region of Europe. So this was a very important starting point because he wanted for the gospel of Jesus to spread throughout Europe, throughout the world, obviously. And Philippi was an essential place. And this church, the Philippians church, they had a very close relationship with Paul. And they, he, they supported him financially because they need that fund to, for him to get across the ocean and go all over the place. So the Philippian church supported them through finance, prayer, sending people and encouragement, maybe some notes of encouragement. And that's the way that their relationship was. And there's a man named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, this was a man who came to visit Paul because the Philippians or the Philippi church heard that Paul was in prison. We don't know exactly which prison this was, but 
they heard that he's in prison. So they sent this man, Epaphroditus. It's hard to say, but it's, that's his name. And he went to go visit Paul to encourage him and send him a gift. But when he was there, Epaphroditus, I said that pretty good, he got sick it was to the point where he was almost dead. So, you know, he was in that region where Paul was near the prison for maybe perhaps several days, maybe if not weeks, if not months, because he got sick to the point where he could be dying. But he uh, he improved. So Paul, with his such appreciation back to the Philippians church, he sends back Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this letter of Philippians this letter, it's probably, you know, it's, it's not a, you know, it wasn't divided into chapters. It was this one letter to them, and he brought this back to uh, Philippi. And this letter is known as this letter of thanksgiving, joy, and praising them for their partnership. It's a very upbeat um, letter. But please notice, please note that Paul is writing this not from this tropical island sipping on an iced tea, but he is in this cold prison cell and he is thinking that he might die because this, this government that wherever he was writing this from, it was very strong and they were very, the persecution was intense. So Paul could say, he's thinking, I could die any minute. So this could be his last letter that he would ever write. I mean, this is the mindset that Paul is writing this letter. And now we look at chapter 1, verse 3 through 11. So can we read this together from the screen? Here we go. I thank my God every time I remember you. And my, all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am changed or defending and conform, confirming the gospel all of you shared in God's grace with me. God could testify how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's read the last part. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I resonate with this prayer of Paul. He's thinking of everyone and he's thankful and he's have nothing but joy. And that's what I think of you. And when I think of each of you, I, there's nothing but joy. And there's something personal to me from that passage because this church is where my faith began. This is where, there was the first day here when I encountered Christ. And then it's coming a full circle. And now I'm here and I think of you. And I'm so thankful for each and every one of you. Obviously, I'm not in prison, but... You know, this, this passage is so personal to me. And this good work that we find in verse 6, what is this good work? The good work is your salvation. 
You are our salvation, each and every one of us. This good work that God has begun, he said he will carry you through to the day, to completion, he says, to the day you will encounter him face to face. Please know that you will encounter him face to face. There's going to be a day, but this work of salvation, he will carry you through into completion. What a wonderful promise that is, church, isn't it? And this is the promise that we have. And that, that, that promise This salvation, work of salvation that is at work within each and every one of you compels us to share this gospel message to everybody, doesn't it? I mean, we can't contain it anymore because we're so thankful that we've been saved. How can we just keep that to ourselves? This has changed our life. You guys don't look excited. It's changed our lives, so we can't help but to overflow, right? I mean, this is Paul's heart here. And right here, he is, tell, he is partnering up with the church in Philippi, saying that this work of mission must continue. The gospel message must continue. So let us continue to share the gospel. Key to worship is that the gospel is at the center. The gospel of Jesus is the center of it all, of our worship. You know, back in the days when I was growing up, there used to be a pole right here. And I know this because I bumped into it many times. You know, it's like it was right in the middle of the sanctuary. And some of you remember. But, you know, we don't have that pole anymore. It was like literally like like right here. I could still feel the, you know, and it was right here. You know, just like that, the gospel is at the center. Whenever I preach, whenever the preacher is preaching, the gospel needs to be what we're preaching. And whenever you are listening to this, that you have to, not not me or the preacher, but the gospel needs to be recognized. And for that, that is the center of our worship. And to this gospel of Jesus, we praise. To this gospel of Jesus, we give. To this gospel of Jesus, we continue to carry this forward. In every form and shape. And the beauty is that our worship has different shape and form. And there is a gospel that you can carry out. And that is part of your worship in your life to be lived out. In the verse 7 and 6 that we read, it addresses the nature of what our worship is. And, and how we worship together as a church. Paul says, whether I'm in chain or defending or confirming the gospel. I mean, that's very important because the defending of the gospel is key. It's really important because this day and age, the gospel, I mean, the world, the value and everything else in the world is rapidly changing. But we cannot change the gospel. The gospel must be defended by all costs. We must make sure that the gospel is not changing. So we have to be on the alert that, yes, the world is changing. We have to be aware of that. We can't just stay back in wherever we've been, but we have to know what's going on in the world. But the gospel we defend, gospel is always at the center, right? The what we do will never change. The what is the preaching of the gospel. The gospel is being at the center, but the how we say that, how we pass this along, will continue to evolve as the world evolves. Why do we have to do that? Why can't we just stay the same? It's because everyone needs the gospel. In other words, everybody needs to receive the grace. Paul says right here that we all share in God's grace together. We all are in need of grace. Everybody, not just us in this room, but this world, these people out on the streets, people outside these walls of this church needs this gospel too. And we must share that grace. 
We can't keep that to ourselves. Why do we worship together? For this is for one reason alone is that because the God's grace have found you in the darkness and of the sin that you were in and we were in together. But gospel and the grace of God have found us and redeemed us. Our worship, Sunday service, through giving, our service, our money, our time, everything. The expression of worship is limitless as I expressed. But, Every worship, every worship is a response to this grace of God. So gospel is at the center. And the wor- of worship and grace is, or the worship is the response to the grace that we receive. And why is that so important? Is because so that everybody will see that we have this grace of God. It doesn't come from us. Then when we look at verse 9 through 11, right here. I don't know if you notice, but I see our vision all over this. Verse 9, it talks about how this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. What do we always say? Let's know more and more of God's love together. Knowing more and more. That's our vision. And then verse uh, 10, the first part says, so that you may be able to discern what is best. It addresses the importance of us keep on growing together. we got to keep going deeper and deeper together. And then finally, we look at the second half of verse 10. We found out, we find out the why. That why that we overflow. Why must we overflow? It's because it says in verse 10, the latter half, that we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There will be a day. Well, we are asked, we are asked, did you live out the mission? The mission of loving God, loving others, making disciples of all nations. There will be a day that we are asked that question. And can, can we truly say, yes, God, I've overflowed, trusting in you. That's the life that we want to live together. And that life starts out here as we worship together as our genuine response to God and His grace. But please know, church, that we don't do this on our own. We don't do this in our, with our strength. We don't. Because we find out in verse 11, we are filled on that day where we encounter Jesus. We are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through what? Comes through who? Through Jesus Christ and to the glory and praise of God. That is the truth. And that we have this community together here in this room, here as a church. We have a community living out this worship as our response together. Together we must seriously, seriously look at the things that will hinder our worship. In the letter that Paul addresses, we're looking at the entire book of Philippians and I kind of broke, the, broke this down. But I would love for you to keep reading throughout this week of the Philippians. But in the book or the letter of to Philippians, there's three things that hindered the church from their worship, their true worship. One is disunity. If you're a note taker, that is found in chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. And chapter 4, verse 2. 
I see that there are no, no takers, so I won't even go there. But anyways, there's this unity, all right? So there's the problem. And then the second problem was that the Jewish people, they're people who are feeling like they are better than others. So there's a superiority feeling by the Jewish people that I'm better. Y'all, y'all not good enough because you're Gentile. That kind of attitude. But, you know, in our term, there's too much legalism. And that's found in chapter 3, verse 2 through 3. And then there are those people within the Philippian church who didn't take God seriously. Too much liberalism or maybe liberal theology. And that is found in chapter 3, verse 18 through 19. So those three things, disunity, legalism, and liberalism. And when you think about it, those are the exact issues why there are so many disagreements in our church today. I mean, 2,000 years removed from it, it's basically the same thing. How could these things creep up in our worship that could hinder our worship? We've got to be keeping our eyes out for those things. This unity fueled by selfish ambitions and pride and different things like me over we mentality. You know, those will create disunity as it did in Philippi. And today, there could be so many disagreements on, let's say, the length of worship, the style of worship. Or perhaps the music, or the length of sermons, or, or just or maybe the dress codes. Those are important to some churches. You can't go and come to church like this. It's too casual. Maybe it's too formal. I mean, there's disagreements all over. And we forget that God allows all forms of, but the heart, where is the heart of worship? All right, so there's disunity. And then legalism could easily creep up in when we forget. That we are saved by grace. Pastor John Piper said this. Legalism. The failure to be amazed. At grace. That's so true isn't it? We are found by grace. And when we are becoming legalistic. It has to be this. And this has to be done. We forget. That we. Used to be this dark dark place. That we are saved by grace alone. When keeping the tradition and keeping what we always had, it becomes more important meeting the needs of this world and meeting the needs of the next generation. That becomes too legalistic. When worship becomes a place we show off our faith to others or to God, say, oh, I'm good because I'm doing this. That's legalism that could creep up in today's church as well. And then liberalism, liberal theology could dilute our worship so so much. That happens when sin is not treated as sin. Maybe it's forgotten or ignored or maybe just put it under the rug. Or when, when we, when how I feel, the, the feeling of worship, how I feel becomes more important than how God feels about our worship. When the focus is about getting something rather than giving something. Those are ways where we could become too liberal about our worship. So think about this. So many things could hinder the worship, our worship. We must be checking up on each other. We must be checking our state as a church, as an individual. If Paul was to write a letter to Orange Coast Church, how will he describe what will he say? There may be very keen insights 
perhaps a challenging, uh, bold challenges that we are to hear. But I believe, and I could guarantee that it will be filled with grace. See, you know, Paul, let's read Philippians 3.12. He says this, 3.12, it says, not that I have already obtained all this. This is Paul saying, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that what is which Christ Jesus took hold of me. There is this attitude about Paul that it's not about him. He's not perfect. He's not there yet. He's continued to striving for this, this completion, but it is not happening from him. There's this unmistakable humility that is found in Paul, which I love. His attitude is always, Jesus is the Lord. He is the center. It is the gospel that needs to be preached. And that attitude we must learn from Paul because his stance is always that he is the servant of the Lord who redeemed him. And Paul has so much passion for those who have yet to know and hear about Jesus. And that's something that we want to learn from him more and more. And that's why the Philippian church agreed and partnered with them for this mission of this gospel to be preached all over the world. And frankly, that is the reason why we have received the gospel today. So should we, as church, partnering for this gospel message to continue to be flowing out from this church to the world. And why is that so important? It's because that is at the heart of our Lord Jesus. He is the one who gave his all to save the lost. He gave every single effort, every last breath was giving to those who are yet to know salvation. That was his life. He gave everything that he had. He's not a scam artist who, who faked everything, who made this story up. He is the one who gave it to all because he knew that, that that's what it took to rescue you and I from sin and death. He made himself nothing to serve us. And that is who we call our Savior and Lord. So this gospel must be at the center of our worship every time. And every expression of our worship is a response to that grace that we don't deserve. When, those, when the gospel is at the center and when we respond to that grace, I guarantee the disunity, legalism, Liberalism, it will melt away. It has no place in our worship. So, church, what is your worship as a response to the Creator, to the, re- to the Redeemer of your life? What is your work? What is your work? Something that cannot be contained inside. You just have to express it. An expression is limitless. Something that you could forget doing. You don't even think that it is serving. It is some work. But it is something that just overflows from you. Maybe this Christmas season, as we welcome Advent, or maybe in the beginning, for the beginning of 2019, may you be challenged by the way you serve, the way you worship. What is your work? My daughter was working at night, creating a card for my mom, you know, for her birthday. She was up all night. And she was like, dude, just go to sleep. She's like, no, I want to finish this. And she created this beautiful card with like origami. She spent hours and hours 
And, you know, my son's picture is right there. He didn't spend as much time, but I had to include it in there, right, because he'll be jealous. But, you know, that, I, I bet she, she spent about three, four hours, just countless hours, just try giving this to my mother, who she loves so much, as a response to her love. Obviously, you know, she's not worshiping my, her grandmother or anything like that, but this is something that she's doing, and she's not even thinking about it. I mean, it's something that is so natural. Her love, her expression, her appreciation to her grandmother, it just overflows with her work. And I know this is a little different, but in your life, what is your work that you could give back to God as your expression of your appreciation, as your worship. And as we close, there's a video that I want you to see. It's called, What is Your Work? What is your work? How do you spend your days? What are you making? What are you getting done? What do you accomplish with your hours? What is your work? For those in Christ, there are better questions. Who do you worship in the work that you do? Who are you serving in your labor? Whose glory drives your effort? How does how you do your work reveal the character of God? Will tomorrow be measured in dollars and hours and completed tasks? Or will the day be counted in eternity as one spent in service to the King? strive for excellence. We will build with integrity. We will create order and beauty. And whatever we do with our hands, our hearts will declare, I am a living sacrifice. This is my offering to you. That is our work. God. There will be a day when you will be asked, did you truly live out your worship? Once again, in verse 1-6, it says, being confident of this, that he who began good work in you will carry you, carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Church, The Lord is near. And this is how we be ready for the day of the Lord. Our gentle and serving heart is evident to all who you encounter. Without grumbling, without faking, may we worship our God as our genuine response of gratitude. And through your worship, someone will know Jesus Through your worship, someone will be touched by the gospel of Jesus and his grace. Isn't that exciting? 
Isn't that what we want, church? And Jesus, who started a good work in you, will complete it, carry you into completion. Amen? Amen. This is our weekly challenge. So for the no, please read Philippians. We kind of broke down the Bible passage so that you could kind of cover the whole book. Read Philippians 2, 1 through 18. I know you're not going to write it down, so please take a note. All right, or please take a picture. What stands out to you about the humility of Jesus and how can we imitate this humility in your life? And then for the grow, Philippians 3, 12 through 21, knowing that our citizenship is in heaven, how can we improve the way we serve God today? And then lastly, Philippians 1, 3 to 11 and 4, 4, 9. How will you worship God in a new way this week? And what new challenges do you seek for 2019? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this service. Thank you for our worship that you have invited us to. But we know that worship isn't just this. Worship is the way we live our lives. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. No matter where we're at or who we are with or what city or what location we're in, help us to worship you genuinely as our response of thanksgiving and gratitude for the grace that you have shown me and all of us. God, help us to respond to you freely. Help us to respond to you through our work and our service. Help us to always have in mind who we are serving. It is you who gave us all without holding back anything. So that is how we want to respond, not holding back anything that we want to keep to ourselves. This is for you, our life. We give that as our offering to you. May you receive it. God, we thank you for this church. Help us to continue to grow and know and overflow in our worship and thanksgiving to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor, could we all stand as we sing this last song?
Say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, when of thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. May our worship never end. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for joining us this morning. I hope you get to continue to fellowship through our worship, through fellowship after this, and a coffee hour right next door. So we thank you. God bless. Thank you. 